The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Hey guys, super excited to be with you here. Just a quick little thing. I was uh, got to do a podcast with uh, some ladies that have this podcast ministry. It's going out tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, today, Sunday, whenever you're seeing this, Sunday at 2 p.m. All the details are coming up on the screen right now. That's me with them when we recorded it a bit ago. And then it's on demand whenever and however you want to watch it. All the information's there. Write stuff down right now and we'll get you all set up there. They also told you a few uh, minutes ago that you're at the Jesus is King stickers. And uh, we had a guy do a Jesus is King tattoo. We sent our film crew out and captured that. Take a look. This is pretty awesome. Mark Porter, Regeneration Church, Porter House Tattoos. I uh, did a little tattoo, Jesus is King tattoo on my buddy Jason uh, for a sermon series. So, Jesus is King, nothing better than that. Hi, my name's Jason Major. I go to Cross Point Church, and I am here to answer the uh, tattoo challenge. <laughs> for me, doing a, a Christian tattoo is, is huge. Uh, it gives somebody... Um, a conversation starter. It helps them just express their faith in a way that maybe they can't do it with their mouth or with words. They can just do it with an image on their body and it could lead to a great conversation, but it's also a great reminder of who the Lord is for us. Um, so it's twofold. It's very personal about the person's faith, but it's also uh, an outward declaration of who you believe in and, and what you believe in. This tattoo is going to be Jesus is King and um it means a lot to me because Jesus is my king of my life, and it's going to be permanently on my body. feels great. A little burn, but it feels great. And if you're ever interested in getting a, a tattoo, something similar to what you got going there, or, or something, your own idea, your own style, uh, let me know. Porterhouse Tattoos, Ocean Beach. We'd love to do a tattoo for you. Um, talk about Jesus. Whatever you need, we got it. Yeah, guys, that's awesome because Mark Porter not only can bring it as a pastor, but he can also just, he's an artist with the tattoo pen. Jason, thank you for doing that. Make sure you pick up those stickers and all that. Make sure you've got our uh, note sheet. You can hit pause right now and download the note sheet or get something to write some things down on. Get a Bible out because I never want you to just to look at the screen for the verses, but to know it's in there. It's been in there for 2,000 years. Get your own Bible, get a pen or pencil, write some stuff down today. Jesus is king. When Jesus came here, he didn't come here to start another philosophy or religion because when you have philosophies or religions, you can have, well, that's the spiritual part of my life over here. Jesus, I'm not here for just one little segment of your life. I want the whole thing. He said, I'm the king of a kingdom. That's all encompassing and, and overarching over every segment of our lives. And Jesus has demonstrated that he's the king with all kinds of events and things that he did and miracles and signs. And he also taught about the kingdom. Last week, We looked at some of just the riffs 
and rants, the things that Jesus talked about uh, when it came to his kingdom. And today we're looking at some of the stories he told. The title of the talk is Stories and Stuff. You're wondering, what's all this stuff doing up here? What Jesus did was fascinating. He told these stories. They're called parables. They're simple little stories with profound meanings. And I think it's, it's important for us to look at these today because we, coming out of 2020 into 2021, one of the things I saw happen in my life, in our lives, is we forgot that we're part of a different kingdom. We have a whole different authority and structure the way it's supposed to work. And Jesus wants us, I think, to come back stronger. If we're to come back stronger, we got to get some real clear, maybe get some things recalibrated about who really the king is and what the characteristics of his kingdom are. Because when Jesus talked about his kingdom, uh, people thought it was going to be like all the other kingdoms they had seen come and go. He says, my kingdom's nothing like any of those. And he tells some simple stories. Uh, and he would not have done this like this with all this stuff out on a table. It would have been walking around town, around a fish dock, or sitting at a, down at a dinner table with some bread and some juice and wine or something like that. He would talk about seeing lamps that somebody had lit in a house. And we'd just say, well, the kingdom of God's kind of like this. Now, Jesus told a lot of parables, a lot of stories. We're going to look at the ones where he starts it off saying, the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this, and use some objects and some simple things they would have seen all the time. Uh, and Proverbs is going to tell us that it's important when, when we see these Proverbs or parables that are in the Bible to not just go, well, that's what they say, that's what they mean. He says, no, no, go explore the meaning in that proverb or that parable. Don't just let some guy stand up here and tell you what it means. Go check it out for yourself. This week on the follow-up questions, the intersect part of the program there has a bunch of verses to look at where you're going to look at that and go, okay, so what else could this mean? Or how else does this play out in terms of when Jesus tells these simple stories that have profound, timeless truths in them? So I'm going to pray and we're going to uh, take a quick look at seven or eight different key stories and stuff that Jesus talked about. Jesus today, God, you say some stuff sometimes that kind of blows us away and it's deep and profound. And then a lot of times you just put it right in the bottom shelf for us. So it's easy to see. And yet these are not simplistic little children's stories today. We want, God, I want this, you to be the teacher here today and speak through me so that the timeless truth of the profound impact of these simple little stories would land 2,000 years later in our hearts today. Amen. Find Matthew 13 in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13. And uh, we're going to look at verses 31 to 34. The first two things we're looking at are tiny seeds, what we have right here, and yeast. And it's right here. Looks like that. You can hardly see it in the package, but it, tiny seeds and yeast, Jesus is going to talk about. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she puts only a little yeast into uh, in, in three measures of flour, it permeates or permeated every part of the dough. Two simple little stories that Jesus is telling us like, look, we sometimes over or underestimate the power of simple things 
little things that seem even kind of silly and insignificant at the time. He says, man, this yeast, it gets in everything. This reason this bread looks like this today, it looks all, it's all puffy and yummy. It's not just some flat dough that just sat there. It's because somebody just put a little pinch of some yeast in there and it went everywhere. Uh, he says like this little seed here grows and makes a mustard seed tree. Now we don't live where there's mustard seeds and can see that. But what Jesus wants you to know is you see that big, that big tree up there, this big mustard seed tree. So you know where that started? You can't even zoom in on it. That little thing right there got planted in the ground and it grew and made this big, massive tree. So what Jesus wants us to know, how his kingdom works, how we start, is start small. Write that down today. Start small. Uh, and, and sometimes we live in a culture, you know, the whole, you've heard the line, go big or go home. And so when it comes to starting a family, it comes to starting a business, comes to starting a ministry thing we want to get involved in, when it comes to parenting our children or building a great marriage or whatever it's going to be, um, we, we want to go, go big or go home. And so because we can't go big and go bam like that and have it be awesome, amazing at the beginning, we don't start small. And guys, Cross Point Church here, I remember thinking about it this week, back in 2003, six of us gathered in a family room in here in Temecula to talk about a church that was going to get started. Six people. And half of them were my family sitting there. They get what? Six people. That's all the interest we have. God says, just, just start small. There's a great verse in Zechariah 4, verse 10. And it says this. Zechariah 4, verse 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord is excited. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin. If you're ever going to get a loaf of bread where the least goes everywhere, you've got to put the yeast in there. It's just a little bit of stuff makes a big difference. Little seeds produce mammoth, mammoth results. Now, we here in the West don't have mustard seed trees, but that little acorn right there, that's a little acorn seed. Take a look at the, what, what grew out of this acorn seed. That tree, you know what it was at one point? That. That massive tree that's there happened there. And, and I think sometimes we have to also keep in mind, here's the implications as you wrestle around with this, is start small and then take your time. Let, let, give it some time. Trust the process. Uh, we want, oftentimes, we want the product without the process. I want the big tree. I don't want to see the little small thing like that. We can get stuff drop shipped to us overnight right now. We want, everything happens instantaneous. I want it all at once. And I think one of the implications of this story of the, of the seeds and the yeast is trust the process. That you only get the big tree by taking your time and letting it grow. If you want to have financial freedom, working out and getting in shape, simple things like that, even addiction, freedom, freedom from deliverance, turning your marriage around, start small and just keep going and trust the process. Because here's what I want you to know too. One of the other implications of this parable is this. Um, don't get discouraged because you never actually see anything grow. Now some of you are going, yeah, I see stuff grow. No, you don't. Like you never saw, like when you plant something in the garden, you don't look out, walk out there one day and go, and it starts growing. Your children, your children that are now, maybe they're fourth, fifth grade or high, whatever they are right now, your children, when they were little tiny babies, you never actually walked in the crib one day and went, oh my gosh, look, they just grew three inches or three centimeters. You never saw 
growth happened. Now, it happened, but growth is imperceptible sometimes. So take your time, start small, and you can't, you can't get the product without the process uh, there. He, Jesus tells another story about buried treasure. We got a treasure chest up here of buried treasure. Find, uh, find Matthew 13. Look at verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned. Cleaned out his bank account, cashed out his home, took everything, got all the cash together to get enough money to buy the field. Was he buying a field? Well, yeah, but he wasn't buying the field for the field. He knew what was there in the field. He says again, the kingdom of heaven's like a merchant on the lookout for a choice for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Jesus is going to make some big demands, ask for some big sacrifices. And he doesn't just make this after you get in and once you've got some time with him, he'll talk about, hey, man, you got to give up everything to follow me. Sometimes it's going to mean you're going to lose people in your family, significant relationships. You're going to lose money from time to time. It's going to cost you some things. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, lay your whole life down, give up everything to follow me. And here's the little soundbite that comes out of this story of the buried treasure is that following Jesus might cost you everything you own, but it will gain you everything that matters. See, these guys in this story, if you just saw them go, they just sold everything to buy a field. Like you go, you you go pity the fool. And then you, turns out he goes out there with the backhoe, with the tractor, with the shovel and pulls this out of the field. Now you don't pity him. You envy him. You go, dang, I got to get this. And, and here's, here's the deal. Um, it's this, this great treasure. Nobody's ever going to get to the other side in their relationship with God is going to be bummed. They go, man, we, we get to heaven someday. We get to the eternal kingdom of God. Go, you know, was the sacrifice really worth it to follow Jesus? No one's ever going to think that. Now here in this life, that's why Jesus tells this story to go, look, it might cost you everything right here and now. Some significant sacrifices are going to be called on by you, from you, but it will gain you everything that matters. And one important distinction to note out of this, as you wrestle with this and explore the meaning and dig at this parable a little bit, sometimes we think that I follow Jesus so he can give me the treasures of this world. So he can give me a great marriage. He can take care of my finances and all that. What Jesus wants us to know today is that Jesus is not the one here to guide us to the treasures. Jesus is the treasure. That's what he's telling us here. He says, you get me. Now there's ancillary and there's side benefits and blessings that come from discovering and following Jesus. But we want you to know here at Cross Point Churches, we're all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus. And if Jesus is all you ever get, it's amazing and fantastic and beautiful. You're never going to regret that. But there'll be sacrifices from time to time. There's buried treasure. The next story he tells is about dirt. And we have some dirt sitting here, uh, here in this tray. And we have weeds growing in here. We have flowers growing in here. Uh, look at Mark. Uh, keep something here in Matthew. And flip over to the right to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4. One of my favorite stories that Jesus tells about how his kingdom works. Mark 4, verse 26, he says, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not 
understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. He says, look, it's a mystery on how it goes. You can say, well, I've studied the science on it. Yeah, but you scientists don't even know. Okay, so why putting this thing in the ground? We know that it happens. We can dig into the science, but why would that work? How does that actually work where this farmer goes and scatters seed out there and stuff happens uh, and, and grows up? He says, that's going to be in my kingdom, Jesus says. Um, it's a mystery on how growth happens in our lives. You ever seen that at some point you go, you became a Christian, you are struggling with some things, whatever. And you go, I don't know what happened here, but I've grown and I don't even know how it happened, how I turned away from the lust or pornography or anger or profanity or obscenity, whatever it is. The thing that kept tripping me up, kept just be frustrating. I don't know how that changed, but I'm different now. And I don't even, didn't even remember really trying that hard, but from the inside out, God produced growth and he changed me. I think it's even fascinating too when you want to be used by God and see, see uh, to, to plant seeds in people's lives, to see people grow and change. It's going to be interesting because at times we think, I think I got to get my presentation down. As a church, we got to have amazing stage. Doesn't the stage look fantastic here, what our team did here? So we need amazing stage stuff. We need to have amazing preaching. We need to have amazing TVs. We need to have all this, all this stuff that goes along with it. We need to read all the books be able to answer all the questions that people have about their faith and have this killer presentation of my testimony and get it all set up and right. And God oftentimes uses that as we prepare ourselves for that. And then there's times, I'm just telling you, I've sat here in my office. I've sat in parking lots at parks. I remember one, one time years ago when the church was just getting started, I was sitting at Starbucks with this girl who was not really a Christian yet. She was spiritually interested and she just wanted to meet with me about some stuff. So I said, I'll meet you up there at Starbucks. And we started chatting. And she wanted to say, well, can I become a Christian right now? You go, how did that happen? I didn't say anything all that profound, all that amazing. It was just, it's how it happens. Uh, I had conversations in my driveway in my neighborhood. Uh, this last week, um, I was having to go. I'll, it's a long story, but my wallet, uh, I put on top of my car and I drove off without it. Somebody found my wallet and took everything out of it. So I had to get new ATM cards. I go to the DMV this week. Pray for me. Um, all that and more. But I was there getting my ATM card replaced and just having a conversation with the person that was checking out the card and all my information. And somehow it just came up about, hey, want to come check out our church? See, here's the beautiful part about that. It's not up to you or me to make the seed grow. God makes that happen. God says, your deal, the seed's right here. Scatter them, throw them out there. You have, you have no idea where that's going to take root, where that's going to grow and blossom into something powerful and beautiful and amazing. So he says, scatter seeds like crazy. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 31 says it this way. The horse is prepared for battle, but victory belongs to God. Now you can't just go, hey, victory belongs to God. So Netflix, Hulu, I, I, I don't, I don't get prepared with anything. I don't ever invite anybody to church because you know, it's all up to God. So I sit back passively. He says, no, no, you got to get the horse ready for battle. A, a farmer that says, well, it's all up to God to make the seed grow. And you never cultivate your field, never plant any seed out there. Nothing's going to grow there. But you recognize at some point I got my stuff I do. And at some point I go, I can relax and rest in the fact that God will make all this happen. It is not up to me to close the deal 
and make it all work. And it's also going to tell us, back here in, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a well-known story of a farmer that went out and scattered the seed like crazy. Some of it grew like crazy. Some of it didn't. Some of it got like the birds came and took it away. So that's kind of like Satan and stuff like that. Evil just comes in and takes that out of somebody's heart and it never really gets into their heart. He talked about sometimes it, it grows for a while and then it gets choked out by, by the sun and, and by just a lack of depth there. It's interesting. The, the meaning in that, I think, is sometimes, sometimes stuff just doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And here's the crazy thing. You know, the same, you've, you've done this, right? You became a Christian. You read an amazing book, heard an amazing sermon podcast somewhere, somehow. And you send it to your friend go, this is going to change their life. And then they get and they go, mm. it does nothing for them. Jesus, that's, that's going to happen sometimes. You don't know how it's going to work because you don't know the situation and circumstances that you're in. And you also don't know this. Paul's going to tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, that the way things grow, it's sometimes seasonal. And sometimes there's a season of cultivating the field. And then sometimes there's a season of planting. And then sometimes there's a season of watering. And for a while, it looks like nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, boom, something grows and somebody gets the benefit of the growth. And you know what happened? Write this down. Sometimes your deal happens because somebody else did theirs. Sometimes here's what's going to happen in your life with your children, parents, just be with me on this. You're going to go, I've raised them right. I've done everything right here. You're going to do all this great work. And then someday when they're in college, they're going to meet somebody, uh, a friend at a college campus. They're going to meet somebody there who's going to teach them, to tell them some things about God or Jesus and the Bible. And it's all going to go come alive for them. And they're going to go, that person, that college, uh, that, that person I met there, that girl, that woman, that man, they changed my life. And you're going, what was I doing back here? Hey, don't worry about it. We, you have a season. So right now you just keep being faithful in the season and recognize that you're, there's been times, that girl that I met with that one day at the Starbucks there, because we didn't have church offices then, and so I had to meet her. That was like low-hanging fruit. All I had to do was walk up to the tree and go, boink, and the fruit came off. Because somebody else had done the work. So don't worry about the fact that it doesn't always happen like that. You never know the seasons or circumstances people might be in. Jesus tells another story about fish. So these are the big uh, fish net, uh, fi- uh, nets to catch fish in back then, the big ones they would throw out there. Uh, they didn't usually fish like we do today. And he also tells a story about wheat and weeds. Look at Matthew 13, look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up into the shore, sat down and sort of the good fish into the crates, but threw the bad ones away. That's the way it'll be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ew, that's a sketchy story. Um, do you understand all these things? And they said, yeah, we do. But Jesus goes, you don't quite get it. So he tells a different story uh, about wheat and weeds that kind of have parallel meanings here. Look at verse uh, Matthew 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven's like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where'd they come from? 
An enemy's done that, the farmer exclaimed. Shall we pull out the weeds, they said? And you would think, well, yeah, get rid of the weeds, right? Mm. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I'll tell the harvesters to sort them all out and figure all that out. Here's the, the parallel here. He says, when it comes to fishing, Jesus is not there looking just for good fish. He's not there going, okay, I want that one and that one and that one and that one. He says, big, huge net. You draw that net in, all kinds of fish in there. Some of them are good fish and some of them are nasty fish. Some are gross. They're just disgusting. You, just, you don't want them. He says, same thing with, with the wheat. He said, you put all this wheat in the field and then somehow weeds get in there too. I mean, Jesus doesn't put the weeds in there, but weeds grow up in here. Like in this beautiful flower thing here, look at all these weeds that are in there too. You go, how did that happen? It's an illustration of how kingdom outposts called local churches operate. That God says, look, don't be so selective about only wanting the really good people have their act together. He says, I want, I want my church full of, of, of messy, broken, screwed up people. People say, man, the church is full of hypocrites and these people there that are all messed up, but they're doing this and doing that. And I go, of course it is. Because the church is a hospital, not a health club. It's not a resort. It's for, it, if, you, if, this, if this is a hospital right now, you would expect to find some people screaming and yelling. You'd expect to find some people bleeding and some people screaming and all. You would expect that. It's a hospital. And write this down today. I, I am so convinced of this. And I've been a pastor now at this church for about 17 years. Churches are a hot mess. Always have been, always will be. And I get a little nervous here at Crosspoint Church. There's been some seasons here where it got a little too... Everybody's chill. Everybody's good. No problems. I get a little nervous when I don't have some messy people here. And if you're some of the messy people here, God has you here. And he's saying, look, do not go out there and try to purify the church and get everybody on fire and committed to God. Because in doing that, what you're going to do is you're going to uproot good, solid people that are real. Like if you try to pull the weeds out too soon, these flowers, now they're full grown right now, but you're going to pull them out and you're going to destroy what's really good. Write this down. Wheat and weeds look the same for a while. Now, we don't live in a place where we see wheat growing, but back then, if we could illustrate this, you would see in the story of the wheat and the weeds, there would be sprouts of things coming up all over the field. And as you first saw them, if you said, well, pick out the wheat and the weeds, you know what? You couldn't do it. They're indistinguishable at the beginning. They look exactly the same. I've seen this happen in my life. Some of you will know stories about this where you saw somebody, you thought, man, that person's on fire. They're awesome. They're amazing. And they crashed and burned and like, eh, no, they, were, they weren't real. There wasn't real faith there. They looked like wheat, but they really weren't. And then other times I've seen this too. Some of you are here today because for a long time in your life, people thought, dude, that guy is a, is a disaster. Man, he's, a, he's not just a tool. He's the whole tool bag, man. He's a mess. And you wonder, is anything ever going to happen for that guy? And at some point, he started to grow. And you go, you know what? That wasn't weeds. That guy wasn't all messed up and everything. That was wheat that was growing. Sometimes things just take, take some time. So what, what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5, he says, hey, judge nothing before the appointed time. Now, we want to encourage people. As we see things, that doesn't mean just let everybody do what they want. Say, when you see stuff, you want to chat with them and encourage them, maybe Say, hey, we've got to hold you accountable. I've got a question about this in your life. Some things I'm seeing there. But he says, be very, very, very careful to say, well, that's it. Get them out. We only want the good Christians here. 
We want messy people here. That's the, that's the, the case with the kingdom. Proverbs 14.4, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible says, an empty stable stays clean, but no income comes from an empty stable. Say, look, we could, we could have everything clean and nice and neat here and have no change going on. He says, look, you can have, back in those days, if you didn't want a bunch of horse manure and just stuff all over that smelled and nasty, smelly horses and gross stuff in there, you could clean the whole thing out, be beautiful and amazing. But you know what? It's the horses, it's the hay, it's the smell, it's the stench, it's all that stuff. Income comes from that. And when you try to get it too cleaned up and starched and pressed and all good together, um, Jesus says, be careful about that. He says, let God sort that out. Judge nothing before the appointed time. Then he tells a story over in Matthew 25. So flip to the right in your Bibles a little bit. Matthew 25 tells another story. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So here's the oil lamp here. Now, they would not have had lamps like this. Their lamps would have been different. But for us today, we're just going to use this because what we think of when we think of like a lamp or an oil lamp or something like that. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the others, other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, The bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Uh, They got out there and they took the the, the, the off and got started started lighting them up and getting all that going and think, okay, we got our our lamps lit. We're we're, we're good. We we got that going. Um, Then the five foolish ones asked the others, "Uh, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Um, And they had lamps. They were trying to light it there because there's no oil in there. They, they, they couldn't make it go there. They're sitting there going, we're trying to light it. We're trying to light it and nothing's happening here. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go out to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, When the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. This is the idea of perseverance. This is the idea of being intentional about making sure your oil lamp stays full or it's going to run out and you're going to burn out and flame out. Here's what Jesus is trying to say here. See, at the beginning, they all had oil in their lamps and they all had lamps that were lit. Write this down. A great start doesn't matter if you don't finish. See, all kinds of people are going to be in my kingdom. They're going to look like good Christians. They're going to go to Bible studies. They're going to serve. They're going to give. But they weren't intentional about refilling their lamp. I remember back in the day... <laughs> um, there was a, I grew up going to church and we sang these silly songs. We don't sing them anymore, but some of you all know this. Remember, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp. And there was other ones. Give me gas for my Ford. Keep me driving for the Lord. There was, give me hot sauce on my taco. I'll be preaching in Morocco. Yeah, all kinds of them. They just did for kids and stuff like that. 
Um, Google that and look that up right now if you want. There's all kinds of, I think there's 87 different versions of that. But the, this, the point Jesus is making here, he says, look, you can be going really great for a while if you're not careful, the oil will run out. And he says, if you want to be lit up, if you want to be lit up, you've got to be filled up. See, what we sometimes think is, and I can't do it here because this, this lamp is, is, is got oil in it. But imagine now this is another lamp right here. Just pretend with me. And I'm trying to light something here. And I can go, I got, I got to get, I've, I've done some things I've messed up here. I don't, and so we do this and we try to get, get our lamp lit again. And it's, it's not happening because we're, we're trying to, to do something artificial contrived. What Jesus is going to tell us is you can put this light here all you want. You can go to church, you can do all kinds of stuff, but you've got to do some things personally in your life to make sure that you keep your lamp full. Ephesians 5.18, Paul says it this way. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul says, don't be filled with the spirits. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit come. And he talks about the way you do that. He says it has to do with like relationships and being involved in community where you can practice out your faith and live in humility. Don't isolate yourselves, he's going to say. He also going to tell us the way you, you get yourself um, filled up w- with God is what we do here when we put, do these great songs is sing to each other. Sing. Psalms, hymns, and songs together. That does something in your heart and soul that will keep you filled up with the Spirit of God. Uh, Paul also wrote a letter to the church in Colossae called Colossians. He wrote Ephesians and Colossians at the same time. And these letters, they kind of parallel. If you read them side by side, they kind of talk about the same kind of themes. And where in Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. You know what he says in Colossians? He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how you keep your lamp filled, is, is get the oil in there by letting God's word dwell in you richly. It's what you do coming to church, what you do reading the Bible on your own. It's what you do listening to the Bible, what you do going to small groups and talking about it with people. It's what Jesus said. He used another example of what it means to be filled up with him, keeping your lamp lit. He uses the idea of, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The only way you as a branch are going to bear any fruit of the Spirit is you're connected to me as the Spirit. He said, you get separated from me. So he's going to say, like in four verses, he says, remain in me. Remain in me. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, and it's not just becoming smart about the Bible. He says, you have to obey this. It's like it's having a transformative relationships and a transforming relationship with this book going, God, what do you want to say to me? So this word becomes alive in my life to change me from the inside out. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what he's going to tell us is you've got to be careful because if, um, you can get to a point where you think, you know what, I'm good. My lamp, is, my lamp is lit right now. And I see this happen all the time. And if we had a time-lapse photography here, we could let this thing burn and burn. And for a while you go, you're good. I don't need to fill the lamp right now, do I? The answer to that would be no, because there's, there's oil in here, right? But if I keep going and keep going and just go through the motions... And just keep coming and do the thing and all that. And don't, not intentional about filling this up. At some point, we're going to set the fire alarm off in here. At some point, that lamp is going to go out. And you go, how come the lamp's not lit anymore? It's because there's no oil in there. And when that happens, um, I think Jesus makes it really clear right here. You've got to be intentional 
about filling the lamp yourself. You can't go borrow somebody else's oil. You can't go live off of somebody else's and their experience of the word. You can't look at me. You can't live off of what I'm telling you week in and week out here when you gather here. This will do it some. You got to go get it for yourself. And let that word of Christ dwell in you richly. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. You were given his spirit when you became a Christian. He says, you know, God, that spirit fill up your life and change you from the inside out. And then in Matthew 25, uh, the next few verses, we're not going to read all these verses today. I'm going to summarize it for you. Jesus, I got some cash bags up here. Tells the story about cash and about his kingdom. He says, everybody wants the kingdom to go, bam, right here, right now. He says, it's not going to be right here, right now, all of it. We talked about that last week. Go get the podcast, look at the vodcast and, and see what we talked about there. But he says, what's going to be like, he says, the king's going to get his kingdom started and then he's going to go away for a while. He said, it's kind of like this, like a guy who owns a company and he's got all his resources. So he gets all together and gets money bags out here and goes, I want you to have this and you to have this. And he gives out stuff to all of his employees. He says, you're going to get this stuff. These are opportunities and resources I'm giving you. Says, I'm going to be gone for a while. When I come back, I want a full report on what you did with what I gave you. He says, there's coming a place where God is going to evaluate us, what we did with the opportunities and the resources that he gave us for kingdom purposes. Here's the important thing on this. You're not going to be evaluated on what you did with your life compared to anybody else. Jesus is going to tell us, uh, Paul writes about it twice in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 14. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, he says this, Christians, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our lives. Now, that judgment seat of Christ is not about are you in or are you out. This is an evaluation judgment to to assess and evaluate how'd you do with what I gave you. He says, you're all given different amounts of, of talent, time, and treasure. Everybody got different amounts of that. You're also given different opportunities in terms of where you were allowed to be born, the kind of family you were born into, all that and more. He says, what did you do with those things for kingdom purposes? Here's the, the question to ask yourself today. How am I leveraging my opportunities and resources for kingdom purposes. What am I doing with my time, my talent, my treasure? Because here's the thing that's happened for us, guys and girls. You've been lied to. The advertising that's on TV right now is going to tell you this. You are a consumer. Get stuff to make you happy, to fill your life with pleasure. And Jesus goes, look, if you're part of my kingdom, you're not consumers, you are stewards. All of, everything you have came from the hand of God. He says, what are you doing with that? Now, certainly you're going to live on some of that. You're going to enjoy the blessings of God. He's not saying you have to go live in poverty or any of that, but what are you doing? And he's also going to tell us this, what's beautiful about this. He says, reward is coming for this. He says, you're going to be evaluated with what you, what you did with what I gave you. He even says it this way in, in one verse. He says, even a cup of cold water given in my name will have its reward. What that means is, Jesus is keeping track of every single small, even the silly, insignificant, tiny little things that you think you don't even pay attention to. Jesus goes, you gave your kid a drink of water when he's thirsty one day. That's going to be rewarded. 
The things that we do here at church, the people that get up here and sing, people who are behind the glass here running the media stuff and running the sound and all that, people that run cables outside and figure out how to make the stuff work for the outdoor service uh, this weekend, back with the kids, driving kids to camp. All that, Jesus, I'm keeping track of all that. There's going to be fantastic rewards for that someday. He says, you can build a life that's got eternal value or you can just be a consumer and just consume it all right now and it just all crashes and burns and when you're gone, it's gone. There's nothing that remains. What you want to do is build out of valuable stuff. Invest those things. Leverage those opportunities and resources. And you guys, as a a church, I got to tell you, you're doing this so well in so many ways when it comes to people serving here. We need you to keep serving. But you know what? We don't need you to serve. We want you to serve because we want you to experience how good it feels to have your time, talent, resources, opportunities to be used for significant things. Uh, you guys are giving financially. Jess and Rudy talked to you about that a few minutes ago. But man, the, the way what we went, went through as a church right now this year, I mean, I really didn't know how that was going to go, but you guys have faithfully served, faithfully been, been giving for the ministry. And, and I'm telling you right now, it's not just to turn the lights on and pay salaries and pay bills and pay, pay lease payments and all that kind of stuff. Jesus says that stuff goes far beyond just the earthly realm right here. So I'm keeping track of all that stuff. And there's fantastic, beautiful rewards coming. And you won't always get it right now. You won't always feel it right now. But someday, there's fantastic reward for that. And then as the band comes up right now, and we're going to have some guys in the kitchen, they're going to move this off of the stage. Uh, one other symbol that he gave us was bread and wine. He said, as important as my teaching is, and important as those things are, thanks guys. See, even like moving a table, it has this reward. Jesus is keeping track of this. It's going in the record books right now. He says, it's not just my teaching and my principles and my philosophy. It's important things that he taught us. How to, how to be citizens of his kingdom. He says, the most important thing is not my teaching, it's who I am. It's what I'm going to do on the cross. He said, I'm going to go to the cross. My body will be broken. My blood will be spilt. He said, if when, I, when I want you to remember the core thing about me, he says, take some bread, take some juice or some wine on a regular basis. And as you eat that and drink that, don't just make it be about eating and drinking. Take a moment to reflect and remember. This is the body of Jesus that was given for me. It was the blood of Jesus that was shed for me that has made forgiveness and relationship with God possible. So today, as our band is going to lead us in a couple more songs together, sing those songs together with us and then take some time with the bread and the wine or the juice that's there on your own, at your own pace, whenever you feel like it, to have a moment there with Jesus to remember who he is and what, I did, what he did by giving his body and blood for us. So Jesus, today... Thank you for these simple little stories that we poke and prod at them and see implications for our life. And so, God, my prayer today is you would convict us, you'd encourage us, you'd inspire us to live as citizens of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.